0: Conference play officially gets into full swing this weekend in Big East men's basketball. Four league games on the docket, including the undefeated UConn Huskies looking to start 1-0 and in league play. Got a nationally televised game this weekend as well as a Friday doubleheader to really get us going. Preview of all that, including one of those games in depth, as well as your recap of what's happened over the past few days, coming up here on this episode of The Igloo. Now, switch things up, I was going to do a women's episode before this, but some new things came up that I wanted to push to tomorrow. Just so I have everything in place, let's put it that way. Because I have some really good content coming tomorrow, In terms of a guest, which I will touch on at the end. But let's talk about what's happening around the Big East. Well, let's start with the fact that Creighton, who just who started six and zero, they are now six and five. They go winless in Vegas and in a game where they got themselves down early against Arizona State they clawed their way back we saw uh we saw Bobby Hurley tech and Creighton leading by as many as 10 and that 10 point lead came I'm trying to find where that was I mean, it was a back and forth second half. I was, I watched. Like, I watched a good amount of this game. Yeah, Creighton led 50-40 with 1250 to go. But the Sun Devils, and and the thing is, Arizona State, I, I, I respect them. They're a good team. But if you're Creighton, I don't care if you have Ryan Kalkbrenner or not. You've got to close out. And they didn't do that. And the last shot that they got clearly was not the shot that they wanted. And Arizona State wins 73-71. So Creighton, who was six and oh, they are now six and five. Leading the way for the Sun Devils, Desmond Cambridge with 19 points, which was a game high. 7 for 11 from the field, 5 for 7 from D. Three-point shooting was really solid for both teams. Arizona State was 11-24, Creighton 11 for 27. You had a dozen for D.J. Horn. 10 off the bench from Austin Nunez. 4 for 7 from the floor, 2 for 2 from behind the arc. 7 points each from Warren Washington and Devin Cambridge. Each of those guys had 10 rebounds and were two for four from the floor, five points from Frankie Collins, and then back to the bench, six points from Jemiah Neal, four points for Luther Muhammad, the former Ohio State Buckeye, and they also got a three from Alonzo Gaffney. As for the Blue Jays, inside the arc, they were they were better outside than inside. 12 for 35 inside the arc. They got it rebounded again, but I know that a five game losing streak. It's like, what's their po- what are positives from this? Well, you played your last two games without the reigning Big East Defensive Player of the Year, and your freshman backup center played his best game of the year in this game. Frederick King, 16 points, 11 rebounds for a double double, 8 of 11 from the field. Baylor Shireman, 18 points. 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 6 of 10 from the floor, and 3 for 5 from behind the arc. Arthur Kaluma was 3 for 6 from deep, 7 rebounds, 15 points, but 0 of 7 inside the arc. Ryan Nemhard, another tough game for the reigning freshman of the year. Just 3 points, 9 assists, 1 of 5 from deep, 1 of 9 from the floor. Trey Alexander really got cooking in the second half. 12 points, 3 assists, 2 for 3 from deep, and 3 of 8 from the floor. And then... Off the bench, just seven combined points. Sharif Mitchell with four, and then a three from Mason Miller. And Francisco Farabeo, by the way, 13 minutes, 0 for 5 from the floor, 0 for 4 from behind the arc. So, yeah, tough way to go out if you're Creighton, to go from 6-0 to 6-5. And my take on Creighton right now, Trying to compose my thoughts and make sure I, A, don't say um, because I know it's a vocal take of mine, and that I say everything thoroughly and that nothing gets lost in translation. The last few games they've lost, I don't think he can just chalk up to Brenner being out. His absence obviously is being felt because of the fact that they were getting out rebounded in the last couple games. But obviously it the rest of the team's got to step up. And while you've had guys like Shireman and King in this last game stepping up, they it's like they forgot how to win. Well, maybe not that they forgot how to win. They forgot how to close out games because they have finished really poorly the last three games going back to the Nebraska home game. And they could potentially lose for the sixth straight time on Friday night. More on that in a little. Meanwhile, Xavier hosting Southern. By the way, just to make a... Long point short, obviously we all know the news about what happened with the Arizona case. Book Richardson going to jail, never allowed a coach ever again, and Sean Miller got nothing. While, based on the findings that Miller not getting anything is justified... I don't know. Just from the surface, it's not a great look for Sean Miller to not get anything. I'm not asking for him to get like the death penalty or a long-term suspension. I mean, I thought he was going to get maybe like a one or two game suspension, maybe. Yeah, I'm just very surprised that he didn't get anything, any kind of punishment. But before that news broke, his Musketeers beat Southern to close out their non-conference schedule 8-3. 79-59. I mean, they got off to a slow start, but they pulled away to win it by 20. Actually, as I think about it now, I mean, Xavier was up 16 at the break. It was 40-24. And they led by... As many as 30 points. Obviously you wish you closed the game a little bit better. Especially because you scored one point total in the final three minutes and change. But still, 8-3 and three non-conference and those three losses coming against pretty good teams. All in all, gotta like what you see. Four musketeers and double figures in this game. Sule Boom, seventeen points, seven assists, five and nine from the floor, three for six from behind the arc. Zach Freeman,el fifteen points, eight boards, seven of ten from the field. Made his only three point attempt of the game. Jack Nungie, thirteen points, seven boards, four for seven from the field. Colby Jones, ten points, six assists, three for eight from the floor, two for five from deep. Adam Kunkel with seven points, three for seven from the floor, one of five from behind the arc. But off the bench. How about Cam Craft, the freshman? 8 points on 3 of 7 shooting and 2 for 5 from behind the arc. Jerome Hunter with 4 points in 16 minutes. 2 points in 22 minutes from Desmond Claude. 4 assists, 3 rebounds. 2 points in 7 minutes from Cesar Edwards. And just a free throw 10 minutes, by the way. That was the last point of the game for Xavier, courtesy of Kiki Tandy. Xavier out the Jaguars 41-30. to 30. They made 9 three-pointers on 27 attempts, but inside the arc, they were 20 of 33. That's pretty darn good if you ask me. Also, they forced 20 turnovers, but on the flip side, I mean, 19 turnovers, that's not what you want. Lean the way for the Jags, Brian Whitley with 17 points, 6 of 13 from the floor, 2 of 8 from behind the arc. He was the only guy in double figures for Southern. Nine points each for Bryson Etienne and Drayshawn Allen. Allen did it off the bench in just nine minutes. Three for five from the floor. Two of three from deep. Seven points off the bench from Terrell Williams. Uh, Terrell Williams, I should say, in 20 minutes. Uh, back to the starters. Four points each for Festus Indumanya and Tyrone Lyons. A three from P.J. Bird, And then two points... uh, Excuse me. Four points off the bench for... (laughs) Weird that they're playing Xavier. But Jalen Reynolds, not that Jalen Reynolds who played for Xavier. And Deshaun Woods had two points. All from the free throw line. Five assists in 13 minutes. And then Wednesday night... On FS1, Seton Hall hosting Drexel. Seton Hall's defense... They were playing at an elite level for a vast majority of the game. They were up 31-16 at the break, and they led by as many as 31 points. Their biggest lead was 49-18, to and that was with 12.56 to go. So they only gave up two points in the first seven-plus minutes of the second half. And then Drexel, out of nowhere, just started making a bunch of shots. And they actually got it down to as low as 11 points with three minutes left. It was 57-46, what seemed like a no-brainer of a blowout turned into a, a game where, if you're seeing Hall, you're like, uh-oh. They could be have put themselves in a situation where they were playing not to lose. But in the end, Seton Hall closes the game on a 9-3 run, and they win 66-49. Trey Jackson off the bench, fouled out, only played 18 minutes, 12 points, 2 of 3 from behind the arc, just 3 for 10 overall. Dre Davis had a dozen of his own in 20 minutes, 5 for 10 from the floor, 1 of 2 from behind the arc. There was a really nice play where he got an and 1 off an assist from, guess who? His brother, Tay who had 6 points in 26 minutes off the bench. Kadari Richmond, also off the bench. 8 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists in 27 minutes. He also had 3 steals. Obviously, the bench for Seton Hall carried the load in this game. 38 points for the bench, just 28 for the starters. Alamir Dawes scored the most of any starter. 10 points on 4 or 5 shooting in turt. Perfect. Two for two from deep. Six points for Tyree Samuel in 18 minutes. Four points each for Casey and Defo, Femi Odukale, and Jameer Harris. By the way, Odukale left early, only played eight minutes. His status now TBA for their matchup against Providence on Saturday. More on that in a bit. For Drexel, 14 points and 11 rebounds to lead the way for Amari Williams. 11 points for Coltrane Washington. 4 for 18 from the field, though. 3 of 12 from behind the arc. The guy who really was giving him a boost off the bench was Yame Butler. 11 minutes, 10 points, 4 of 6 from the floor, 2 for 4 from behind the arc. They got 6 points from Luke House, Luke House in the middle. (laughs) Oh, my God. You want to hear horrible jokes, this is the place to go. Podcast-wise in College Hoops. He played 31 minutes, 2 of 5 from deep. 5 rebounds as well. 5 points in 16 minutes for Kobe McGee. 3 points for Jamie Bergens. And then their other two starters, Mate Okros and... Lamar Oden Jr. were each held scoreless. So Seton Hall able to finish the non-conference strong at 7-4. and four. One team that did not finish... Um, that did not... Well, they still got one more non-conference game left, but you look at DePaul's non-conference schedule and John Rothstein brought up a good point. In December for DePaul... Seven games on the schedule, five of which are on the road. In their third road game and first of three consecutive, DePaul kind of flopped against Duquesne. They got themselves down 13 at the break, and that proved to be too much of a hole to climb out of. They never led. Dukes led by as many as 18 points. And your final score, and the disappointing result Duquesne wins 66 55. For the Dukes leading the way with five, two different guys with 15 points each, which were Joe Reese and Day-Day Grant. Grant was 3 for 9 from behind the arc, 6 for 14 from the field, Reese 7 of 14 from the floor. 13 points for Jimmy Clark. 8 rebounds, 4 for 11 from the field, just 1 of 4 from behind the arc. 8 points for Quincy McGriff, 2 for 6 from deep, 3 of 11 from the floor. 5 points for Trey Williams, and just 10 points from the bench. 6 of which came from Halil Barre in 10 minutes, and then in 25 minutes, 4 points for Kareem Rozier, the freshman. And DePaul got dominated on the glass. I mean, this is where you really miss Nick Anganda and you an A. 48 32 edge on the glass for the Dukes. DePaul, their three point shooting continues to look good, but inside the arc, they were just abysmal in this game. Just nine of 34 inside of the arc, eight of 21 outside of it. Javon Johnson, four for five from deep, six of 12 from the field, 19 points. Now, he's been the guy that's been driving this team, but, you know, damn, he needs help. 12 points for Errol Penn, 5 rebounds, 3 of 7 from the field. The bench had 21 points in this game. 8 points from Mahmoud Bynum in 21 minutes. 3 for 8 from the floor and 2 for 3 from deep. KT Ramey with 7 points, 2 for 5 from the floor, 1 of 2 from deep in 16 minutes. 6 points, 26 minutes, 2 for 6 from the floor, 7 boards, 4 assists for Deshaun Nelson. Umoji Gibson only had 3 points on 1 of 8 overall, 1 of 6 from deep. And then... Zion Cruz and Philmon Mongeberwitt were each held scoreless. No Jalen Terry for the Blue Demons. So yeah. Really tough way for DePaul. I mean, this is a game I thought they would win. But Duquesne protects home court. And this could be the beginning of some... very difficult times for DePaul. Again, they got two more road games in this three-game road stand. They'll have a week off between the second and third games. Again, they visit Northwestern Saturday, which I'll have my prediction for that in a little bit. And then the last game of that road trip, they'll have a week off before they visit Creighton on Christmas Day on Fox. But speaking of Fox, obviously, as I mentioned, Biggie's conference play for on the men's side really picks up this weekend and on Saturday. God weather permitting because where I am we're supposed to get a huge blizzard. I might get snowed in the epitome of irony and the igloo might not be able to go to Providence Seton Hall at the Rock but I still have a preview for it regardless. Joining me to preview this game the current WSU sports director, obviously, Heaven Hill was last year's. Had him on the show for it uh, to preview a Scene Hall St. John's home and home. But this year's sports director, Joe Matthews, joins the show next to preview this nationally televised game between the Friars and the Pirates. Here it is. Welcome back to the Igloo. As we all know, this weekend, Biggie's play on the men's side really kicks up. Uh, we had Biggie's game last week, but you got four games happening this weekend. And the only one one's going to be on national TV Saturday afternoon, 1230 on Fox. The Igloo will be there. And joining me uh, is against Providence, Seton Hall. Uh, joining me now, the... Sports director of WSOU, my old stomping grounds. Last year was Heaven Hill, who was sports director and obviously has graduated. This year's sports director, join me now, Joe Matthews. Joe, it's a pleasure to get you on the Igloo, man. Hey, it's an honor to, it's an
1: honor to finally be able to be on here. Uh, a big fan. For, first time, a long time, as they say. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to uh, get talking about this game because it, it's going to be an exciting one, I mean. Providence back in the Prudential Center for the first time in a while since they uh, since they didn't come around last year for uh, for some reasons which we'll we'll probably get into um, so it should be a, a fun little uh, a fun little conference
0: game and I'm excited to uh, talk about it so let's talk about what Seton Hall is coming in with and after a really rough stretch where they lost three in a row including a disappointing you know final two losses at the ESPN Events Invitational. They've rebounded strongly. Granted, they looked kind of ugly against Lincoln University, but to go into Jersey Mike's arena and beat Rutgers in just an ugly basketball game, how how important was that for this team to galvanize themselves and take that momentum into Big East play?
1: It's absolutely huge because, I mean, especially as you said, they're heading into Big East play now. Had they dropped that Rutgers game, they would be going in uh, at five and or ball well, with with at least five losses, right? Assuming they hopefully beat Drexel tonight, uh, the time we're recording this. Uh, but going into conference play with five losses, that that really carves out a tough road for you because you got to be dominant in conference play at that point. Granted, it's only one extra loss it would be, but going in with potentially four losses if they take care of of Drexel tonight, that, that gives them a little bit more breathing room heading into conference play, where you know. They're going to have two quad one wins now. That Memphis win from the ESPN events invitational really starting to look solid. They played Alabama really close last night. Uh, and then, you know, Rutgers counts as a quad one because they were up in the, uh, in the top 75 at the time of the game. So the pirates, even though that Siena loss is going to really kind of haunt their resume and kind of drag them down nationally, where we I don't think they're going to get the respect. Maybe they would deserve later on in the year because the media is always going to look back to that Siena loss, but getting that Rutgers win that really helps to, uh, to boost the resume a little bit and also just give the team momentum because I mean, they were on a skid as we all know, you know, you lose the back half of that ESPN events invitational, they get creamed on the road against Kansas. They did pick up that win on campus against LinkedIn, But like you like you said, Tim, they, they looked really sloppy in that game. And it, it kind of, it, for, for a, a near 30 point blowout, it felt as close to a loss as it possibly could have been because it was really an ugly game. So for them to get a big win in a really hostile road environment, I think that's going to do wonders for the team's confidence. And again, it, it's just a nice resume booster that gives them that breathing room where if they go in and falter a little bit in conference play to start, they're going to be okay. Cause they have two really good on conference wins to, to kind of hang their hats on.
0: Let's hope Rutgers fans do, don't hear this because they, they do believe that this game was stolen, but I mean, That's beside the point, like I've said on the show before, refs don't win and lose games. The players do. So um, let's talk about this Providence team, by the way, obviously not anywhere near the level that they were at last year as the biggest regular season champs, Uh, more on the asterisk that came with it, because as you pointed out, you know, that last year, one of the games they didn't play, they were the only team that didn't play Multiple games; they only put 17 out of the 20. One of those was at Seton Hall. But this Providence team—they lose Nate Watson, who was a stalwart in the middle. Al Durham was a big shot maker. Noah Horkler, AJ Reeves, Justin Manaya, who was their perimeter glue guy. It's interesting to see what Providence has done because they they floundered at Mohegan Sun in the Hall of Fame tip off. They lost at TCU, but other than that, they've looked pretty solid, but they're still a hard team to read. Am I right on that?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a weird kind of weird start to the season for them and just a a weird like team to judge, like you said to me. I mean, especially because they they're a very young team. I mean, they lost all those players, like you mentioned. It, it seems like they're kind of in that more reload stage where this year and maybe next year, they might not be big competitors in the big East, but they're they're kind of in the long-term plan of you know, setting themselves up for a couple of years down the road to get the program bumping. So, right now, it's a little bit of a of a tough time for the Friars, and so it's going to be a softer matchup for Seton Hall. Um, but yeah, it it, it is a, a tough team, and it's a team that I really find a lot of comparisons to this Pirates team uh, with Shaheen Holloway. I feel like they're kind of in similar situations, not not exactly, but like you know, Shaheen Holloway, it's his first year as as, as head coach, obviously for the Pirates, and so he's kind of broken things down a little bit from last year's Pirates team they only have five returning players and he's kind of brought in some some new blood some new faces and is trying to really improve that program and I I think Providence while they have done it more from the bringing a lot of freshmen bringing a lot of young guys route whereas Sheen always brought in a lot of older veteran transfers I feel like both programs are kind of in that this year you want to compete but it's not too important for us if we miss the tournament or something like that I think both programs are in kind of that long term rebuild window right now. And so that's why I'm excited to see how they match up against each other, because two, you know, I mean, Providence being a younger team and Seton Hall being kind of a, a new team that's trying to find its identity. I think a, a matchup like this to kick off conference play playing against each other, it could give uh, either one a, a real uh, fire underneath them to, to get going through the rest of, of, of the conference, because, you know, even though Providence is a younger team and they, they've they been kind of struggling at points this year, I mean, they still have Ed Cooley, who, in my opinion, is a top five coach in college basketball. Beating him is going to be a, a, a great, uh, you know, accomplishment for this Pirates team, and that's going to be something, again, like that Rutgers win. They're going to be able to hang their hat on that. Yes, Rutgers maybe not a powerhouse this year, but the team can say, we went into a hostile environment, we went into one of the toughest road environments in college basketball, and we came away with a win. We can easily do that. Now, if they take down Ed Cooley, they can say, hey, we just took down an all time great Big East coach. We took down one of the best in the nation. We can go against any team that has a great coach. So that's going to be kind of, you know, what I'm looking for from the scene. And and for Providence, you know, I I just want to see them be a little more competitive uh, against some of these, you know, higher major teams, because they've done really well cleaning up against some of these, you know, low major teams that they've played, you know, they're, they're Northeasterns, they're riders. they've taken care of business. But some of the, you know, the 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 higher caliber programs they've played, like that TCU game, like you mentioned, Tim, or you know in the Hall of Fame tip-off against Miami and St. Louis, those are the games they've dropped. So it seems like they're still trying to find their footing and get one of those bigger, high-major type wins. And so if they do it against Seton Hall, that's going to be a good point for them to, I think, really get their season going. Because, yes, they do have three losses against good programs, but they've got a real nice out-of-conference record. They set themselves up with a big win against Seton Hall. They're going to be in good position to kind of be a shocker down the rest of the Big East. So
0: I we alluded to it. Last year, Providence didn't play at Seton Hall. That was when they had that lengthy spell where they couldn't play any games because of COVID with multiple players and all that. So do you think there's going to be a little more juice on the Seton Hall side to, for Providence to be coming back? And obviously the last time – they were in the rock. Nobody was there, and Providence won in overtime in just a bizarre game. I mean, the, the whole COVID season was bizarre. But to beat Providence after a lot of people think they ducked the matchup as, as well as UConn at home and at Creighton, um, I, there's got to be some extra juice in the building knowing that it's been th- almost three years now since fans have witnessed this Providence-Seton Hall game.
1: I think there's absolutely going to be extra juice. I mean, I, I can tell you from the student standpoint that, you know, the, the kind of general consensus is that a lot of people think Providence ducks Seton Hall, and so they've got that little extra fire. I think the student section is going to be great that game. Um, but even from the team standpoint as well, I, I think, you know, it's a different Seton Hall team and a different Providence team, so I, it's not exactly the same players. They might not have the exact same fire to, you know, make up for that loss on the road last year. But you know, I, I think it's definitely going to be a narrative to 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 watch out for, and I I think that this Pirates team is going to want to kind of reverse that because we we heard all the things last year that you know oh if, if Providence came on the road to Seton Hall, you know maybe maybe the Pirates would have taken them down, maybe Providence wouldn't have finished as well in the Big East. Um, so I I, I think this Seton Hall team, granted new coaching staff and not all of the same players from last year, I think they'd want to get a nice statement win against Providence. It's going to be their biggest opener. They're finally going to have Providence back in the Rock for a while. Like we mentioned, the fans are going to be great. I think that while from a team standpoint, it might not be a huge resume boosting win, but I think for the you know the reasons you mentioned with all the kind of the storylines behind it in the crowd, I think this could be one of those games that is really exciting and really gives the team a lot of juice. Whoever wins. To 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 go down the rest of the biggie stretch because from the scene hall standpoint, we talked about the crowd's going to be behind them. They're going to want to you know feed off of the animosity that the pirates fans kind of had towards this providence team. But if on the flip side, providence they're going to probably be knowing that hey, this crowd's not too happy with us. That we, we they're going to be pretty hostile. They're going to be you know a pretty rambunctious crowd in the biggest opener, if they can go in and shut up the prudential center and make things quiet, that's going to be a real confidence boost for them. Uh, and so I, I'm really excited to see how that kind of plays into, into the storyline of this game. Um, and I think it's just going to add another element to it.
0: So X factors on both sides. I mean, let's start with, with the homestanding Pirates. I mean, looking at the Rutgers game specifically, there were some guys that... Kadari Richmond, Dre Davis, Dre Davis have been out for longer, but Kadari was out for just the Lincoln game. But those two guys made a very big difference. Kadari on the defensive end, and Dre Davis was the only guy the whole in the entire game to score ten plus points, which that's just the rock bite that kind of happened. But obviously those two guys, but I think the one guy that you want to see in a matchup where there's going to be solid bigs at Croswell on the other side, Bryce Hopkins, but Casey and Defo arguably plays best season, game of the season against Rutgers. You want him to keep that momentum rolling, but who are some other guys that you're looking at to potentially be X factors for the pirates to put them over the top here?
1: I, I think there's a couple. And I, I think for me, it kind of boils down to two names uh, on the pirates and they're both, uh, Kedari Richmond and uh, Alamir Dawes, um, because I, I think the the Pirates, the problem with them this year so far, as kind of a lot of people can kind of tell, has been the offense. Right. The, the defense has looked stellar. It's been up there in the top of the Big East. I mean, top two in terms of, you know, three point field goal percentage, field goal percentage like that. Defense has no problems. They are a lead. The only time they got exposed really was when they played Kansas. Kansas is the number 19 in the nation. At least they were at the time when the Pirates played them. So there's really no defense that's going to slow down an attack like that. Issue for the Pirates is that then no matter how great their defense has played, the offense hasn't given them anything to even win a game. The defense has kept them in it, but it's always been on the offense to win the game, and they've never gotten the job done really. I mean, even in this Rutgers game, The reason they won was just because the defense played absolutely lights out. The offense was was still pretty atrocious. Like you mentioned, Tim. Trey Davis was the only player in the game who had double-digit points. Like the Pirates need an offensive boost because the defense has looked solid. I think the defense is going to continue to stay solid, but the offense is the X factor for this Pirates team down just the rest of the season. Because I think if they don't have to, you know, start shooting the lights out and you know have have a top three offense in the conference. But if they are just serviceable, middle of the pack on offense, I think combined with their great defense, that's going to allow them to really be competitive. The problem is that the offense has just been atrocious. But I'm looking to those guys, Richmond and Dawes, to kind of carry that load because we've seen it in spurts from the both of them. We saw Kadari Richmond have a nice game against Kansas where he he kind of looked like the Kadari Richmond Pirates fans have been hoping for since he came over from Syracuse. And then Amir Dawes, we've seen him, you know, in spurts, show some nice three-point shootings, show some nice playmaking. I mean, even that last game against Rutgers, he had a nice eight-point performance. But Dawes and Richmond, either one of them, they're both the, the star guards for this Pirates team. They're two of the players that can be, quote-unquote, the guy for the Pirates. And so I want to see one of them just take over. Because if Kadari Richmond, if he he has a nice another scoring night, if he, he gets up to 20 points, really starts to dominate in the paint, that's going to unlock the Pirates' offense. They're going to be able to run things through him. It's going to open things up vice, you know, it's the same thing with Alamir Dawes. If he gets hot from the perimeter, that's going to, you know, force Providence to come to the perimeter more. That's going to let Tyree Samuel, that's going to let DeFoe in the paint get, you know, m- m- more 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 looks. Um so I'm just looking for one of those guys, one of those guards to take over and just have a real nice offensive performance because again, I I think if that happens, if if you get a if you get a 15 point performance from Alamir Dawes or, you know, a 20 point performance from Kordaire Richmond, the offense, I think, is going to get better, and that's going to win the Pirates the game.
0: On the flip side, um, so X Factor for Providence, for me, and I want to hear your thoughts after I give my point. The, Jared Bynum was preseason all biggies first team, right? And he has looked like a shell of himself this year. However, against the Pirates, for some reason, he turns into a point god. So maybe that's who we see because that's the trend. But Jared Bynum having a down year early on and potentially him having a big game here can maybe put Providence over the top. But there's been multiple guys who have been underwhelming, like Noah Locke. Bryce Hopkins has probably been their best guy. And again, you talk about These teams are so similar. But my my X factor, Jared Bynum looks like the preseason all-biggies first-team guy at point. Providence wins the game. But who are you looking at, you know, either with – players or things Providence needs to do in order to win the game that could give the, give the Friars the edge.
1: Well, well, Tim, you, you took the words out of my mouth. Cause I was going to also say uh, Jared Bynum in response to that. Um, Cause like you mentioned, he, he hasn't looked like himself and that's been concerning for Providence and it's concerning for him, but he always kills Seton Hall. And that's the type of game that I think can change the course of the season for a player like Bynum, right? He's struggled through non-conference. He hasn't looked like himself. He goes into the potential center against a team that he knows he always dominates. He has a really, really nice performance to kick off Biggie's play. That's going to set him up to live up to the, you know, know, preseason, you know, honors that he got. And so I'm looking for him. I'm looking for Providence to really try to get him going this game. I, I think, again, like you said, that could be dangerous. If he plays like how we know Jared Bynum can play, it could it could be wrapped pretty early. Um, outside of that, though, uh, I'm also looking at, at Bryce Hopkins, you know, because he, he's been exceptional so far this year. You know, 15 points per game, nine rebounds per game, just about. Uh, and he, he's been a pretty solid, you know, just force all around the court. And the Pirates bigs have, have kind of struggled on the defensive end at times this year. You know, Tyree Samuel's been good and Depo has been good but they've shown a willingness to to get beat inside a little bit. So if you get Bryce Hopkins going inside close to the paint or just any of these bigs on this Providence team, if they start dominating in the paint, that could cause problems for the Seton Hall defense. So those are the two things I'm looking for. And that's the script for me. uh, If I'm that cool, you get Jared Bynum going, you attack the paint. I think Providence can win the game in that regard.
0: And something I definitely want you talk about the bigs at Croswell. When Providence wins, he his shooting percentages are pretty darn good. And against again, you got Casey and Defo in the paint, who three time Metro Atlantic Conference player uh, defensive player of the year. So if if he if and can stifle Croswell and he's not shooting the rock well, maybe getting into foul trouble. Yeah, that could open the door for Seton Hall. So really, this is a must win for both of these teams. And the funny thing is. They also end the season against each other at, I can't, and I hate that I can't call it the dunk anymore, but at the AMP as it's now referred to in Friartown. Uh, so it's weird. You, you start conference play against each other. You end conference play against each other. But in the, obviously the expression goes, so not by how you start, it's about how you finish. But how, how you start is pretty damn important too. So who gets that all-important 1-0 start in Biggie's play here?
1: I, I got to say, I mean, it might be a homer pick. It might be a little biased, but I, I think the Pirates are going to be able to pull this one out. You know, they're coming off of good momentum against Rutgers. I mean, barring barring a big upset tonight, again, like we said, they, they should take care of business against Drexel. we will have some nice momentum heading in home court, a little bit of animosity from the fans. It's going to make for a good environment. That's going to make it tougher for Providence to play. The team's going to be healthy. Dre Davis is back. They should have pretty much all their pieces, Sands, Yetna. I, I think the Pirates are in position to get a big statement, Big East win, kick things off, and start to erase that Sienna loss from their minds.
0: So I was actually at one point, I was really teetering. If Seton Hall lost to Rutgers, I would be leaning Providence here. But now that I see what they're capable of, especially with how the Memphis win aging like wine, because they hung with Alabama, but more importantly, they beat Auburn. So that's another big thing. As long as that eight win continues to age like wine, I, and again, that galvanizing win, it's, it was a slobber knocker. Everyone can agree on that in Piscataway. But St. Hall came out of there as the winner. And that really, that's going to bring this group together and they're coming together at the right time. So in my mind, trust me, at one point, I was thinking Providence up until Sunday night. But I think in a tight one, i thinking maybe like a five-point game like we saw last year. I think Seton Hall pulls it out. But just the sheer drama of seeing two guys that made national headlines as coaches in March last year. Ed Cooley leading the Friars to the Sweet 16 for the first time since God Sham God was their point guard. And Shaheen Holloway, we all know the headlines he made at St. Peter's. Uh, It's going to be must-see TV, but I think Seton Hall wins this game uh, by five. Uh, I think that's a fair point range, but uh, obviously, make sure to watch it. Uh, Hopefully, you might see me. God forbid, if you have to see my Face Again, a face made for radio, 1230 on Fox behind uh, one of the baskets on press row. Uh, Joe Matthews, uh, WSU sports director, breaking down and previewing this uh, first uh, Big East Conference game to be on national TV this season. Joe, thanks for the time. Uh, keep holding down the four for SOU. Um, look forward to catching up with you down the line. I know we will be seeing you in the Garden come Big East tournament time.
1: Absolutely. Good to see you again, Tim, and thanks for having me on.
0: Rest of my weekend picks coming up right after this. Welcome back. Thanks again to Joe Matthews for previewing this game with me. Like I said, I just really hope that I'll be able to make it at this rate. Because this snowstorm that we're supposed to be getting in my area, pretty brutal. Could see double digit. Could be seeing double digits in terms of how many inches of snow we could get between tonight And Saturday morning. Could get ugly. So, obviously you heard my prediction. Providence, Seton Hall. I got the Pirates winning by five. Five Five-ish, I should say. So, rest of Big E's picks. Friday night, doubleheader on FS1 starts with Xavier and Georgetown from Capital One Arena. Xavier right now, this is nuts. They are an 11-point favorite right now. Over under at 157, so expect a lot of points. And Georgetown, you know, nearly a week off after their last game, which obviously I was there for at Syracuse. So, Xavier didn't play this game at Georgetown last year because of COVID, weren't able to make it up. You know, I think Georgetown, knowing that's conference play, they're going to put up a fight. And listen, again, they haven't won a Big East game since the Big East Championship back in 2021. So it's been nearly two whole years. Obviously, we all know they went winless. 0-19 in the regular season, then lost in the first round of the Big East tournament against Seton Hall. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Obviously, I'm going to pick Xavier to win. But, Georgetown covers. I got Xavier by eight. Like, Georgetown's going to find a way, you know, get some late garbage time points. But, I think Xavier wins semi-convincingly. Not really sure I'm I wouldn't know what to put for a score. Maybe like, I don't know, 81-73. Like, at this point, I'm just spitballing and guessing. Now, the second game of that doubleheader, Creighton visits Marquette. Ryan Kalkbrenner's stat is still up in the air, but I'm assuming he's not going to play. Marquette's a three-point favorite, and an interesting stat I want to point out. Since the Pfizer Forum opened, in Big East play, and we're not going to count UConn because they only have a two-year sample size, and they're 2-0 at the Pfizer Forum, the only team Marquette hasn't beaten in that building, Creighton. 0-4, but all four of those losses were by single digits, including a double overtime loss last year on New Year's Day. So, the last time Marquette beat Creighton in Milwaukee, it was the final game that Marquette ever played at the Bradley Center. So, the Golden Eagles, they really want this one. And I know they do. And you know what? When you want something real bad... You'll do everything you can to do it. And I know they want to start 1-0 in Biggie's play. And the funny thing is, you know, I thought this was no preseason. This was a no-brainer. Fully healthy Creighton topples Marquette. But I don't feel that way anymore. Creighton's really sliding. They still don't have Kalkbrenner, which could open the door for Marquette's bigs. You know, Omax Prosper and Osubi Godaro... To capitalize. So in order for Creighton to win this game, they really need they they need Ryan Nemhard to become that talented Big East freshman of the year. Like they need that guy to show up because he hasn't been himself the last couple games. Shireman's doing all right. Frederick King's gonna have to continue doing what he's doing. I mean, in terms of how well he played Monday night against Arizona state. They're going to need that guy to show up. Maybe not 16, 11, but he's going to need to contribute, you know, protect the paint and score on the other side in the paint. But I think Marquette gets the job done. I think they win it by four. Crane's going to hold their own, but I think Marquette's going to win. By the way, again a three-point spread so technically I got Marquette covering does it go over yes over under is 152 and a half if you're wondering by the so 7975 and um going to Saturday by the way if I were to make an actual score prediction Seton Hall my winner. Seventy sixty five. I think the offense is going to come alive a little bit, and they'll it's still going to be a relatively low scoring game, but Seton Hall still wins again by five points. Northwestern hosting DePaul last year. They did not play this game because of COVID. Three hundred sixty four days apart, so nearly a full calendar year. But Northwestern at Welsh Ryan, give me the Wildcats taking care of business. Again, their only losses were they got beat by a ranked Auburn team and then they also, they got washed by Pitt at home in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but they beat Michigan State in East Lansing. So I think that should count for something. So give me the Wildcats winning. Now in the Orange Bowl Classic, in Sunrise, FLA Live Arena, where the Florida Panthers play of the NHL. St. John's, 10-1, taking off Florida State at 3-9. Florida State is looking better. And St. John's, again, their only loss was against Iowa State on the road. They're going to have to... They're going to have to win this game. You cannot afford a loss to the Seminoles. I know it's in Florida. But I think St. John's ends up winning. I think Florida State's going to make it a game, but I think the Johnnies do pull it out. Now, 4 o'clock CBS Sports Network. Villanova St. Joe's final leg of the Big Five schedule for the Wildcats. Again, they're 2-1. and one. They lost at Temple in their second game of the year. But since then, they've defeated... Oh, They beat LaSalle to start the season, and then they beat Penn at home last week. St. Joe's 4-5. and five. Yeah, Villanova, again, they're figuring it out, and mainly it's because Cam Whitmore has shown up as that dude for Nova. Give me the Wildcats winning against St. Joe's at Hagan Arena. Now, 7 Eastern FS1, UConn and Butler, the Huskies now number three in the country, and the, and the bulldogs a quiet 8 and 3 a quiet 8 and 3 Yukon had their way with the bulldogs last year and they've had their way with everyone this season coming in at 11 and 0 but what happens here do we see more of the same? Or will Butler hang in there? Well, in my opinion, I think UConn, again, they've won all of all 11 other games by double digits. Does that trend continue? I think so. And they are 4-0 against Butler the last two years. And I think UConn wins... I think pretty convincingly final score in this one. I got the Huskies winning and their offense is very good, but going on the road to Hingle, I think Butler's going to try as best they can to slow them down. But UConn with the depth they have and just the overall talent they have and how well they're playing, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you're Butler, like, You're standing on the tracks and the train's about to come through. UConn wins, I think, big. I got the Huskies winning 75-57. And this is not a knock against Butler. It's not that Butler's bad. UConn's just that damn good. You know, like a lot of people, I probably got sold on the Huskies watching them in the PK-85. And until something changes where they really get challenged, my opinion on them in terms of being just dominant and the clear front runner to win the Big East this year, that's not going to change. So those are my weekend picks, and that does it for this men's edition of the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. I got a women's edition coming out tomorrow. I probably should have done it earlier in the week, but... The reason why I held off on it was because I just did this interview today. It will be on tomorrow's episode. One of the top players in the Big East. A player that has definitely not really come out of nowhere, but taken a major step up in her game to be one of the top players in the league and part of a really dynamic one-two punch. With Jordan King, you probably guess where I'm going with this. Um, Chloe Murata from Marquette joins me in the igloo on tomorrow's episode. So thanks for tuning in again. Make sure to tune in tomorrow to hear my interview with Chloe, where she gets put on the cold seat. Always an entertaining segment, especially with the current players and coaches um, that I get on the show. So that's a can't-miss interview that I'll be uploading uh, tomorrow on the women's-only edition of the Igloo. So thanks for tuning in. Hopefully the weather won't be as bad as, as expected and I'll be able to make it to Newark in time for the game. So if that's the case, I'll obviously tweet about it in a very somber way. And probably on Instagram, too, for that matter. But, fingers crossed, the weather won't be as severe as expected, and I'll be at the Rock, igloo in the building uh, for that Big East opener between Providence and Seton Hall, Saturday, 12.30 on Fox, following the third-place game of the FIFA World Cup between Morocco and Croatia. Might be a tough act to follow, but Big East opener, Ed Cooley, Shaheen Holloway, I think they could pull it off. Thanks for tuning in again. Thank you to Joe Matthews again for coming on to preview that game, Providence-Seton Hall. And I'll catch you all next time tomorrow for another edition of the coolest podcast in college basketball, the Igloo.